Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to that next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, questions and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance the program is limited so get that application in today to apply go to bw.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the January 1st, 2021 episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering and this episode reviewing all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, folks, there is no guest. The last show of the 2020 fantasy football season and the first show of 2021 is dedicated to our guests. All of the questions that we receive are generated from you on social media or email or things that you've asked along the way that seem to be the hot topics. We started back in June and we had a series of guests once a week to come in and share their knowledge. So many great guests from Rotoviz, one of the premier sites here. Just so honored to work with such a great bunch of people here at Rotoviz and from other sites across the fantasy football landscape. They came in here and answered questions. And so what I thought we'd do is take a look back, which is always fun, at the big hits. What were the predictions that hit home here? There were so many to choose from, but what I did is I looked at each one of our guests and I pulled a few predictions from everyone here that I thought you would like hearing about that probably helped guide you to the fantasy football playoffs, and maybe to a fantasy football championship. So much in-depth knowledge, especially in the preseason when we really didn't know how things were going to play out. And whether it was best ball leagues, dynasty rookie drafts, or seasonal leagues, getting that information way back in June, July, and August, I'm sure could help you on your way to getting prepared and putting yourself in a position to win a fantasy football title. So we're going to start with our first guest here, go through the preseason guests. The first one, of course, Evan Silva from Establish the Run, one of the godfathers of fantasy football. He gave us three predictions that knocked out of the park. The first one was Calvin Ridley. He was very high on him. People were unsure. Is he always going to be second fiddle to Julio Jones? Evan came on and told us that he felt he was going to pass Julio Jones. He even predicted that Julio Jones is probably going to get injured at the end of the year, and that thrust Calvin Ridley into his current position, which is overall wide receiver five. 
Then he talked about rookie wide receivers, and his favorite one was Justin Jefferson of the Vikings. He said he started doing research on Justin Jefferson and liked him more and more. This was back in June, and certainly that proved true. Adam Thielen started getting phased out. Justin Jefferson hit the big plays. And even with Dalvin Cook there, and the rumor that was flying around in the preseason that B.C. Johnson would start ahead of Justin Jefferson, well, that didn't last very long. So he talked about how he loved Justin Jefferson. And the last one, of course, he and I shared, the great Josh Allen. We really thought Josh Allen would put a fantasy season together that would rival Lamar Jackson from last year, and certainly he did. The accuracy was there. Stefan Diggs unleashed him. They trusted him more. This became less of a ground-and-pound offense and more of a Josh Allen pass-first offense. The rushing upside, Evan nailed it. I am sure Josh Allen is going to finish, what, top three, top four, somewhere in there in the MVP voting People love him. He did a great job for the Bills. He did a fantastic job. And if you drafted him and you passed on Lamar Jackson, you pass on Patrick Mahomes, you are probably very happy with Josh Allen. So Evan talked about him as well. So let's kick off our Fantasy Football Mailbag 2020 review show, this time with Evan Silva. And the last one here, I just broke down an article for Last Word on Pro Football. Every wide receiver, too. I ranked them from 32nd to 1st. And, of course, I ended up Calvin Ridley at the top. I, I think his upside is huge. Consolidated target share there. And I know you like Calvin Ridley as well this year. Absolutely. I have him as the wide receiver 8, um, even ahead of DeAndre Hopkins, which I know is very, very strong against consensus consensus has deandre hopkins right now as either the wide wide receiver three or the wide receiver four and i've got him like in the wide receiver nine wide receiver 10 range um and calvin ridley ahead of him i like calvin ridley's floor uh because um i think this falcons offense in in their passing game they're going to be very 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 concentrated it reminds me a lot of tampa bay's offense last year we knew that they were going to throw the ball a ton and we knew where the ball was going to go. And that predictability, that floor on Calvin Ridley is really, really high. And then, and you know, especially with um, changing out the tight ends. And so Calvin Ridley is going to dominate targets, I think, in, in Atlanta. And then that upside really comes into play if something happens to Julio Jones, who is now 31 years old, had the, uh, the lowest yards per target average of his career uh, this past season. Uh, and so if he starts to fall off and we see Calvin Ridley assume an equal or even greater uh, target share percentage than Julio Jones, then all bets are off. I think Calvin Ridley can be a top five wide receiver one. Absolutely. And of course, Hayden Hurst comes over former first round pick. So he has the draft capital in his pedigree. But it's hard to envision him having uh, his ceiling. His high, high ceiling is probably the year that Austin Hooper had last year. Right. Fifth with 75 receptions, 97 targets. That was sixth. So even if Hayden Hurst breaks out here, there's going to be a lot of targets left over from Hooper that could definitely go to Ridley. Absolutely. And again, you know, I think that this team is going to be playing from behind quite a bit uh, in uh, Warren Sharp's strength of schedule ratings where he uses opponent Vegas win totals to uh, you know, forecast strength of schedule. The Falcons have one of the five toughest schedules in the league. That suggests that they're going to be in a lot of negative game script situations. Again, they play 11 of their 15 fantasy relevant games indoors. Um, yeah, this is an offense that I think is going to be very, you know, pretty easy to predict uh, because we know where the ball is going to go. Let's turn to rookie wide receivers. Each receiver is 
incredibly talented in a draft that had so many high first round early picks there at wideout. I remember doing the over-under there on the bets on the draft, how many receivers are going to go in the first round. Henry Ruggs goes to the Raiders, but of course he's going to be in a situation with Derek Carr, which could be Marcus Mariota, by the way, Evan, because he could do yep. to Carr what Tannehill did to him. You have Jerry Judy in Denver, but Cortland Sutton's there, and the jury's still out on Drew Locke. You have CeeDee Lamb in Dallas, who falls to Dallas because Atlanta makes that mistake of, of course, reaching for their cornerback, but he's there with Gallup and Cooper. And then you have Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, who's stepping in there, who could really have a, a huge target share. Who do you like best of that group? Is it Jefferson just because of the situation? Yeah, right now I'm doing our uh, our team previews where I break down every team and each skill position player on every team. And as I was doing the Justin Jefferson write-up, I liked him more and more um, because he's jumping right into that, you know, a, a clear-cut situation where Stephon Diggs is out and Justin Jefferson is in. Adam Thielen, although I have him way above consensus in my rankings, you know, there is some risk there. He's, he's now on the wrong side of 30 this is a team that I think is definitely going to throw the ball. Uh, one, one thing that uh, more than they did last year, one thing that stood out to me also was going through Mike Zimmer's history. And he's had some teams that have thrown the ball quite a bit. And the Vikings lost their entire three cornerback nickel set. Um, I think their pass rush is not going to be as good. Ever, Everson Griffin is gone. Um, and I think that they're going to throw the ball more. And that would really bode well for the number two receiver there. I do think that Irv Smith could take a step forward. And I think that Adam Thielen is going to have a big year. Um, but Justin Jefferson has an awful lot of opportunity. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, definitely a guy that the more that I've looked into him, the more I like him in fantasy. Give me that bold prediction this year. I totally agree with you. I put my rankings together and I felt a lot better when I saw you talk about Josh Allen. So the one that I've been saying is mine is that I think Josh Allen could be a top three fantasy quarterback this year. That's a good team. He has the Konami code. He's got digs now. And yeah, he's a little erratic, but I I could see it happening. But what's a bold prediction from you that you're finding yourself saying, you know, this could actually happen this year and it's it's a high upside play? Well, you you just stole mine, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but but it's not the same but it's the same player but I, it's just Josh Josh Allen MVP if you could get it at 50 to 1 I think it's worth it um, you know what what are some of the criteria that we look for when we are trying to forecast an MVP and I was I was big on taking shots on Lamar Jackson last year and he was more at like 80 to 1 and 60 to 1 so he was a little bit more of a longer shot um, but I think that Josh Allen is, is in a, a same – or a, a, not, not necessarily the same scenario, but also a really good long shot bet. You know, this is another sort of like with Arizona pulling Demir Bird and Keyshawn Johnson and Trent Sherfield out of their starting lineup and inserting DeAndre Hopkins. The Bills are doing the same, dropping Stephon Diggs into the position that was previously occupied by Isaiah McKenzie and – um, who was that guy that they got from the CFL? Duke Williams. Duke Williams. Oh, my God. Yeah. Number 82. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's just a, a massive personnel upgrade. This will be year two with Josh Allen and Cole Beasley and John Brown. And, you know, John Brown, for the first time in his career, was a consistent producer. I mean, he wasn't consistent in Baltimore. He wasn't consistent in Arizona. All of a sudden, he becomes consistent playing with Josh Allen. I get it. Josh Allen is not, you know, your prototype. He's not an accurate passer. Like he's an erratic passer, maybe the most erratic passer in the league. 
but I think that he is a passer that can be elevated by his teammates. He did take a step forward going from year one to year two. And the, the Bills did not, you know, the, the Bears did, did something similar where they went really all out on Mitchell Trubisky, adding weapons around him, entering his second season, and he was elevated. And he had a much better second season than he did a first season. I mean, he was like number three in QBR. Now, we, we understand that that is, you know, a, a fluke and, you know, a, a phantom ranking. But, but, he, but he was much more productive with a better supporting cast, and the Bears didn't do anything to upgrade his supporting cast entering entering his third season. The the Bills did not stop at upgrading his offensive line and upgrading his receivers with John Brown and Cole Beasley and drafting Dawson Knox. And, um, you know, they went and freaking got Stephon Diggs. So I, I like the, uh, the approach that I think the Bills understand. I think the Bills themselves understand um, that Josh Allen has these limitations, that they need to continue to put weapons and protection around him and you know you look at the Bills schedule this year weeks one through 11 in particular it gets a little tougher late in the season but who knows what's going to happen those teams that can suffer injuries become worse but their their schedule in weeks one through 11 is gorgeous um he is you know a top three running quarterback in the nfl he leads all uh, nfl quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns over the last two years i, I don't think that they're going to pull back on that they have continuity coming back with uh, brian dayball uh, at uh, offensive coordinator. I think that they know how to use Josh Allen. I think they're going to be a good team. I think that they are clearly, I think, the best team in the AFC East. So what are we What are we looking – let's go back to the criteria that we're looking for um, for an MVP forecast. We want them to be playing quarterback. We want them to be on a, uh, a team that we think is going to be winning a lot of football games. Josh Allen clearly checks those two boxes. And I think the arrow is up on him as a player, and he is a dynamic player, even if, you know, he can't throw the – he doesn't know where the ball is going half the time. So – Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Totally with you. John Brown last year, 14.7 fantasy points per game. He's wide receiver 22. He is now the wide receiver two on that team. The Bills have battled under Sean McDermott. Nine and seven make the playoffs in his first year in 2017. Ten and six last year lose the wild card game at the Texans. They are chomping at the bit to pound the Patriots. And of course, this year they're probably more vulnerable than they ever have been in, in the Brady Belichick era. They've lost six games in a row. Everything lines up to me to be a really solid Bills year. So as long as he doesn't go nuts there, Allen, and start throwing the ball to the other team, I agree. Everything you're saying, uh, they got Zach Moss at the goal line. They have Devin Singletary. Solid defense, well coached. It just lines up to me, like you said, the schedule, that this could be a real good year for the Bills. Yeah. I mean, look, if he's playing quarterback for a team that is 11-5, you know, far out in front of their division race, you know, maybe even goes 12 and four. How can he not at the end of the season be a top 20 MVP candidate? And then he's got the, and then he's got the, um, you know, he's got within his range of potential outcomes, the potential to run for 10 touchdowns and throw for 30. In that scenario, which is very, very realistic. I don't know how he wouldn't be considered even a top 10 MVP candidate. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed, is here to help. 
Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account anytime, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So Evan got us off to a fantastic start there talking about Calvin Ridley and Justin Jefferson and Josh Allen. So we transition right from Evan into Mr. Zero RB himself, Sean Siegel here at Rotoviz, one of the co-owners, just a fantastic fantasy mind, one of the premier Mount Everest people in the fantasy football community. Sean comes on every year and does an amazing, amazing job. And of course, he is going to discuss the merits of Zero RB. And he gave us some great insight here into how it can work this year. There was a huge argument at the beginning of this season whether zero RB was dead and robust RB was the way to go about Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There was talk about pounding robust RB, how there was no value in the later round running backs and nothing could be further from the truth. And Sean came on and told us about how he went about drafting in the MFL 10 of death seven, just a loaded field of fantasy analysts, a league that he's won three of the past four years. And this year he started that draft with three wide receivers. Which wide receivers were those, might you ask? Well, none other than Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, and A.J. Brown. So, Sean, again, following a script, he talks here about how if you can get one of those top running backs very, very early, that's fine. But the key piece of information that fantasy drafters make a mistake with every single year is you chase points. And he says, don't do it. If you get the top three wide receivers that you need, you won't need to sprinkle in other ones later, and you can go for a ton of running backs knowing that one of them will probably hit. And maybe it'll be a James Robinson like this year, or maybe it'll be an Antonio Gibson, another one. But the wide receivers at the top are head and shoulders above everywhere else. Sean outlined it perfectly for us here. One of the all-time OGs in the fantasy football community and here at Rotoviz. Sean Siegel talking about zero RB. You are in the MFL 10 of death seven that Pat Thorman runs. And looking at on social media, your draft there, Sean, you stay true to your zero RB strategy and it has paid off well with three titles in the past four years. You are only one of two drafters this year that started without a running back in the first three rounds. Ryan Forbes did go Michael Thomas, Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster. You started with Adams, Hopkins, and A.J. Brown there. So I'm curious, three stud wide receivers, that's your way to go. It's been a proven success formula for you. How do you feel about your start there in the MFL 10 of Death 7 and about your team in general? 
I like it. And it really depends a lot, I think, on where you get in the draft. I was looking at some info with Mike and he's going to have uh, he's constantly working on the apps. He's going to have another few really cool innovations out here in the next couple of weeks that let you look at some other things like the win rates from different slots. And I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anybody, but if you have a, a slot in the top four, the win rates are very good. If you have a slot in the middle four, your win rates are solid. And if you have a slot in the bottom four, the win rates have been very, very bad. Now, when you get a bad slot, you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm not going to win because number one, some people still do. And number two, it wouldn't be fun. So then we have to figure out, well, how do I go about attacking it? Now, we know from the Best Ball Workshop and the Roster Construction Explorer that if you can draft that stud running back, and then hit receiver, 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 receiver after that, mixing in one of the top tight ends, that you have a very high floor and a very high ceiling. The problem that you have if you're in the second half of the draft is that you don't have that stud running back available to you. And so then your choices really are either to chase points, which, I mean, that's the reason why your win rate is a lot lower. You're simply drafting players who are not going to score as many points with your most important pick. Or you can move to an approach that, maybe has a lower floor, but has the type of ceiling you need to win, which obviously is what you're trying to do. The thing that I did in this draft, and the thing that I've done in several of these drafts in the past, so basically I have experience with this working for me personally, but also when you go into the Roster Construction Explorer, it tells you that it will work, that it has worked for people. Now, it's not necessarily done by a lot of people. So we don't have thousands and thousands of owners that we can look to and say, okay, these drafts all did this. But it's something that's been consistent 2017, 2018, 2019, even within that small group of people who did it. So I think that that gives us some reason to believe this works beyond just the logic of it also works. Again, the win the flex tool that I mentioned earlier shows that it works. And that's simply to take a lot of wide receivers. What I did here was to take six wide receivers in the first nine rounds, also mix in one of the stud tight ends. When you do that, you shockingly enough end up with a win rate around 14%. And obviously you can do that from a bad draft slot, right? So the guys that I got to start with there, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, second and third last year in terms of target share. And then obviously we don't have to go into a lot of detail with those guys. We know that those guys are stars. And even if you go back to something as recently as 2018, the points per game they scored would have put you right there with the top running backs, not like a Christian McCaffrey, but everybody else and put you in position to win. And so you have that, but then you also have this sort of foundation of wide receivers. And the thing that I think people misunderstand with best ball that the roster construction explorer really hammers home no matter how you go in there and experiment with it is that the idea that wide receiver is deep and that you can get those guys later isn't really true and or that you just need more wide receivers than people think and so when you get more of those stud wide receivers early it actually helps you a lot more than loading up on the running back now you know back to the first point is if you can get one of those stud running backs and then build a wide receiver you're going to feel more confident. You're going to feel safer. You're going to get good results. But if you can't, then my recommendation is not to chase the points. You know, I took a look at the variance there with the wide receiver twos over the last decade or so, and that has dropped precipitously. But to your point, 
those top wide receivers really are still head and shoulders above everyone else. So if you can get one of those top wide receivers, I I, I think it makes a, a massive, massive difference. There's a reason Sean is the best, and that's exactly why. Again, sticking to his form, sticking to what he believes in, and finding a way to succeed no matter what the year is and no matter what people say at the start of the year. Great job by Sean. Next, we're going to have Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis in. Rich, of course, one of the greatest minds as well in the fantasy industry. Gave us a lot of great takes. I have three here. Last one's real funny. First one is about Antonio Gibson. Obviously, Antonio Gibson, one of the great running backs in the late round. Darius Geis, of course, after everything that went on with him in the preseason. Peterson was there. The role was unknown. He stepped in and just dominated this year when he was on the field with some big, big performances. Certainly someone that people got late. They were very happy. And then I asked Rich who he's a truther for. He talked about Will Fuller. People always shy away from the injury tag and that people are injury prone and they really shouldn't. I remember talking about this about Matt Stafford years ago. He was nicknamed by Bill Simmons, uh, Matt, only if he can stay healthy Stafford. And he's been mostly healthy ever since. But Will Fuller, a guy that he loved, and he said, ignore the noise with DeAndre Hopkins not there. He's going to have a big, big year, and he certainly nailed that one. And of course, he had one of the most prophetic, maybe the most prophetic predictions that we had here among the people who came on the show. So Rich Rebar here, sharp football analysis, talking Antonio Gibson, Will Fuller, and a big prediction. I think Antonio Gibson is just, he's one of these guys that it's the amount of efficiency per target, per target and touch he had is very exciting. And you look at his physique, you know, he's built like Jonathan Taylor can a little bit. I mean, I've seen some people really typing up Steven Sims because of what he did at the end of last season. But I mean, Antonio Gibson is an absolute problem for Steven Sims. He does everything Steven Sims does and arguably better even in the return game. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Gibson just takes a lot of the bulk of what Sims did uh, at the end of last season. Um, So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Listen, Washington, if Darius Geis gets hurt again, it's Peterson, Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love. Gibson at 6 feet, 228, 439 speed, and he can catch the ball. Fantastic. That is a problem. That's a great call. This is a guy whose second half of the year, I think Rich could actually somehow be starting for them. It's it's possible. It's in his range of outcomes. Well, the, the cool thing about Gibson for fantasy is he had his position changed. Because if he was a wide receiver, eligibility only for fantasy, that was going to be a problem for him, probably with the way he used. It's just, remember the year like the Browns like threatened to move Duke Johnson to the slot, and everyone's like, oh, this would be good for him. You'd rather have those points at running back than wide receiver. You can find a ton of guys yeah. that can produce a floor or a wide receiver three that Duke Johnson would have produced. You want those points at running back. Uh, it yeah. helps him that his that his position got changed on the websites already. So it definitely helps Gibson a lot, and it definitely moved me way more into him. Who are you a loyal truther for? Uh, Rich Rebar, truther status. Where are you, Rich? Who you got? Oh yeah, Will Fuller. I mean, it's just the allure, just of what he does, what he and what he plays, and ever going back to Notre Dame. I mean, this guy creates his own. He creates his own touchdowns. I love guys that do that. I mean, he's good after the catch. Uh, just just a big time producer when he actually is healthy and plays. And like I said, I understand that we'll probably never get a full season out of him at any point. And he's always going to be on these guys and these injury predictors. That's just high risk and high. You know, people will stay away from him. But uh, man, this guy can play. Man, that's you know. And even for some of the negatives he has, I mean, he'll put some balls down too. Uh, doesn't have a big, big catch radius, but uh, he's electric. And listen, he's walking into the the best opportunity he's had coming into any season. So I mean, I feel like people just want to fade him to fade him at this point. And man, it's not going to be me. 
I need the bold prediction. I need the one you're going to look back on and say, you know, I think I was right on that. Give me your bold prediction for fantasy football this year. QB, wide receiver, running back, anything. What do you think is going to happen that's sort of a little out there, but it's it's an outlier, but it's still possible this season? My boldest call is that we're going to play 16 games. All these teams are going to play 16 games. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's my boldest call. That's all I got. Sir, I'm, I'm with you, man. If we get 16 games, we'll be thrilled. We need sports back in the worst way here. Keep everybody healthy. And certainly we're all happy that Rich was right and we did get the 16 games in. So very excited. Great job there by Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis, as always. Next up was Mike Tagliere from Fantasy Pros. Just one great analyst after another. Mike came on and talked about Tyler Lockett versus DK Metcalf and said he is going with DK Metcalf. In fact, he says here, quote, if you get DK with 120 targets from Russell Wilson, he can post 1,200 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. It can happen. Folks, right now, DK Metcalf, 120 targets, 1,282 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. So just nailed it there. And also, Mike, as a Bears fan, talked about why we should buy into David Montgomery. And while Montgomery was not great for the start of the year and people were starting to really lose faith in him, right now, at the time of this recording, he is seventh among all running backs in fantasy points per game, PPR formats. He's fourth in receiving yards. He's fifth in rushing yards. And his last five weeks ranked in PPR formats at the running back position, RB6, RB1, RB6, RB2, RB8. So certainly Mike Tagliere nailing not only DK Metcalf, but David Montgomery. Let's take a listen. Let's go to Seattle. This DK Metcalf versus Tyler Lockett debate is starting to rival like Pepsi versus Coke. Very strong opinions on both sides. The Lockett people say he's been there. He has a connection with Russell Wilson. He's going to be continue to be the wide receiver one. The DK Metcalf people cite his big playability, his athleticism, and the fact that he looks like more like a true alpha. Where do you stand this year, DK versus Lockett? I mean... DK Metcalf is a dude like I, I I remember last year trying to defend him and tell people that, you know, don't write off DK Metcalf um, just because he, he's a little bit raw. Uh, it was all about where he landed. And when he went at the end of the second round of the Seahawks, I said, you guys are idiots like everybody in the league. You guys are idiots for pairing this guy with Russell Wilson. And that is going to make the biggest difference. Like go back to the beginning of like, after the draft last year and you go into the offseason in the preseason games. DK, many people forget DK hurt his knee. Um, not only was DK considered a raw receiver that, that couldn't bend his knees, he couldn't get through the three cone drill. Remember that? And yep. then he got hurt. He had to have a knee scope. He They, they didn't think he was going to be ready for week one. Well, he was ready for week one. And DK Metcalf came in and he produced, uh, I think he had nine games over 60 yards. There were only, I think uh, he was 10th in the NFL among wide receivers in that stat. So despite being raw as hell, despite coming off that knee surgery uh, right before the season, all those things playing in, despite the fact that the Seahawks threw the ball like minimal times, DK Metcalf still proved to be a, a, a fantasy asset. Okay, Tyler Lockett, when you talk about these two, it's almost like you want to say that Tyler Lockett's the safer one, but I'm not really convinced that he is the safer one because Tyler Lockett's not a guy that's going to see 130 targets. That's just not who he is. He's never going to be a target hog. You're going to see games here and there where he might get into the double digits, but I think 
Tyler Lockett is someone that's going to wind up right around that 110 target mark, and that's fine. The reason I think that people want to go with DK, and I have zero issue with it, I think Lockett is a safer projection because you don't have to work. You don't have to wonder, do they have an increase in pass attempts? You know Lockett's going to get his, but anything on top. DK can be like he has legitimate top five wide receiver upside because you're talking about if Lockett's capped at 110 and you start to see this offense throw more, which is very possible because the Seattle Seahawks defense is worse than it's ever been. Like I look at this depth chart and I'm like, wow. So they signed Quinton Dunbar in the offseason to take the uh, to start opposite Shaquille Griffin at quarterback. And Dunbar was he, he went to jail like he's not going to play. He's going to be suspended. They have a rookie starting a linebacker in Jordan Brooks. They're they're losing Jadavian Clowney most likely. Michael Kendricks, Ezekiel Anza, Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods. Their their front seven has been decimated. We so the Seahawks defense is going to be worse than it's been in a long time. And if you start projecting Russell Wilson into the mid 500 pass attempts, all of a sudden you could start to find 120 targets for DK Metcalf. And if you get DK with 120 targets from Russell Wilson. This is a guy that legitimately can he can post 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns. It can happen. So I have zero issue with people want to take DK Metcalf over Tyler Lockett. I, I have Lockett ranked higher right now, but I I it's one of those things where if you've seen someone do it, I'd say, oh, I get it. I really do. I mean, you're shooting for the ceiling here. And again, it's hard to say that Lockett, who has been touchdown reliant in his fantasy numbers, it is safer but at the same time, every single year, we say the same thing about Seahawks wide receivers, right? We're like, well, Doug Baldwin, you know, he's capped at this many targets and, de- and Lockett and he's touchdown reliant. Both of them have been. But yeah. Russell Wilson is the common denominator here. And again, when you put someone as physically imposing as DK Metcalf and a guy that could win contested catch situations where, you know, Russell Wilson's throwing to it at a pinch. Yeah, DK is a buy in dynasty for me. If you could find someone that's valuing him as like, you know, the 20th wide receiver or whatever, I you go out and you buy him right now. I I honestly I might say I'd take DK Metcalf over DJ Moore in dynasty. And I know that that's considered a very wow. very very hot take, but it's all about who they're tied to. And DK Metcalf being tied to Russell Wilson versus DJ Moore being tied to uh Teddy Bridgewater for the next 3 years, I think I might take DK. Yeah, that's fair. 120 targets for a guy who's 6'3", 228, and runs a 4'3", That's going to translate to fantasy points. And maybe, Mike, this is what we needed. We needed Seattle to have a bad defense yes. for finally the staff to unlock Russell Wilson and not just wait until week 10 and let him start throwing three, four, five touchdown weeks late in the year, which is what he seems to do. Absolutely. And this yeah. is a major, major weapon for him. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, if Russell Wilson were to throw the ball 600 times, I think people would actually be discussing him as the greatest quarterback of all time. One of them um russell wilson is so damn good like he he's so good i mean i don't even know how else to put it uh but he's been undervalued by i think a lot of people just because he's not asked to to throw the ball 600 times like guys like patrick mahomes might be you know aaron Rodgers was in the past but russell wilson one of the greats for sure Yep, absolutely. And listen, Sidney Rice was relevant back there in 2012 with Seattle. So yeah. we, we can we find a way to get DK to have a big, big season. Next question here from a zero RB zealot. He said he likes to zig when everyone zags. He knows people are saying zero RB is dead this year, but he still wants to try it. He feels as long as you can find running backs that have high volume, high projected touch volume, he thinks it's doable and wants to know our thoughts on two clear RBs that aren't getting a ton of respect on social media. David Montgomery and David Johnson. Where do you stand on both of those players who are available after those first few rounds? So... I put up a tweet 
saying that uh, David Montgomery is a virtual lock for 240 carries. I said there have been 125 running backs who have hit that mark over the last 10 years. I said, guess how many of them finished worse than the RB25, which is where he's being drafted? The answer was none. None wow. had finished worse than the RB25. And again, I understand some people are like, well, he might finish as the RB25. I'm like, again, you're drafting him at his floor, which is fine. If you're going the zero running back approach, that's what you want, right? And if we were to go back and, and it's it's so funny how small, like, like how quick people move on, like their memories just forget about things. David Montgomery in the preseason was like a darling. Everybody said, oh, why are, why are they starting Mike Davis? Put David Montgomery in there. He's so good. And then he had like this incredible run in the preseason that people were like, see, that's why David Johnson should be playing. That's why people in Chicago are excited. They're also forget about that Matt Nagy was actually a pretty good play caller uh, in 2018 for the Bears. 2019, it was horrendous. And I could tell you, if, if, if his coaching tenure was based on 2019 alone, he would be in the Adam Gase of coaches. It was pathetic. Yeah. But it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just weird to go from 2018 where things were creative. He made them work and where he did. It's almost like he tried to get too cute and it just it turned out bad. But Dave Montgomery has room for growth. And again, there's no competition on that roster. Tariq Cohen is never going to get more than like eight to ten carries per game. That's not who he is. Uh, but Dave Montgomery is fantastic. He's again, he's a lock for 240 carries as long as he stays healthy. The Bears invested a third round pick in him like him. I mean, those were two of our best predictions all year. DK Metcalf, David Montgomery. Metcalf was a stud as a wide receiver, and Montgomery won fantasy championships for people down the stretch. Mike Tagliere doing what he does best, nailing both of those predictions. Next up, we have Jake Seeley of The Athletic. Jake is one of the most accurate fantasy analysts around year in and year out, does an amazing job. And he came on and told us about a wide receiver who was long forgotten in the fantasy community. People had given up on Corey Davis. Davis. They think of the Titans. They think of Derrick Henry. They think of A.J. Brown. They don't think there's going to be enough targets to go around there. And did Corey Davis truthers get rewarded? This season, a guy who is basically free gave five weeks of wide receiver two or better production, including the overall wide receiver four in week eight and the overall wide receiver one in week 13 against Cleveland. 12 targets, 11 receptions, 182 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Not bad for someone who you could have picked up extremely late in best ball leagues. So here's Jake Seeley of The Athletic telling us why we shouldn't have given up on Corey Davis. I want to know, Jake, who are you a truther for? He's following Devontae Parker's career path. Corey Davis is super talented. Yes, it's been a huge disappointment so far, and he's probably in a really bad spot with Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown and that offense to run first, run first, run first, and it's a very bad spot to rebound. But I, I just for the fact that he's free, do you everybody remember where Corey Davis was going last year? He is free now. He's so undrafted, it's ridiculous. I still believe in the talent. It, it, maybe it's Devontae Parker. We have to wait a whole nother year, but I'm still I'm a sucker for Corey Davis. No, that's fair. I, I mean, Corey Davis has the draft capital. Uh, you know, he was he was the fifth overall pick there. And listen, and he is basically free right now. It's totally true. If you listen to Jake and you took Corey Davis, especially in best ball, you were very, very happy. Great job by Jake Seeley there. Next up was Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus. Ian does a fantastic job writing for them. He hosts the podcast where he breaks down every game that he watches every single week. Just crazy. He gave us three big predictions. The first one is that he was down on Hayden Hurst because he thought he was being overdrafted. And with people looking 
beyond those first three tight ends, beyond the great George Kittle who ended up getting hurt, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, beyond those guys, people were really struggling to find late round tight ends. And Hayden Hurst was someone who did not pay off. He was also very down on Matt Ryan. I had classic bet regret in the Scott Fish Bowl. As soon as I took him, I realized I shouldn't have. Super flex. I thought the run was coming, but he was down on Matt Ryan, even in this explosive offense, and correctly predicted that he was going to have some regression with the touchdowns, and he doesn't run. And the third player he was also down on, three players here that he was not buying at all. Third one was Baker Mayfield. Remember, people thought Baker Mayfield could have a really big bounce back here. The offense, new coach, offensive line, all that stuff. And he really did not perform anywhere near where he was supposed to be. And sure, Baker had some moments. Like, remember that overall QB6 performance in week seven? He had five passing touchdowns there against Cincinnati. Just crazy. But for a guy who finished up just 26th in fantasy points per game at the quarterback position, he was a guy who was being way overdrafted at QB15. So Ian Harditz here giving us three players that we should have avoided. Hopefully you listened. Hayden Hurst, Matt Ryan, and Baker Mayfield. What on earth is the fascination with Hayden Hurst? You know, what I find interesting is people talk about how talented Austin Hooper was, right? And he's coming over to Cleveland. Now Njoku wants a trade. Hayden Hurst, 26, almost 27 years old, but 4.67, 40-yard dash, 80th percentile coming out of college, but hasn't done much since arriving there in Baltimore and was certainly passed and usurped by Mark Andrews. He's going down to Atlanta. What are your thoughts on Hurst here? Because he's becoming a very popular sort of after the first four guys upside possible top five tight end this year in that Atlanta offense, but I'm not so sure. What do you think? I'm with you, man. I was fine when he was like in the tight end 15 range or right. something like right. that, or, you know, still in the tight end 20 range at the initial trade, but tight end nine right now in ADP. Are you kidding me? This dude has caught more than three passes in the game once. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if this season ends and he's behind Julio Ridley, Russell Gage, and Tom Gurley in the pecking order. I understand Cooper had all that production last year, but, you know, a lot of that came with them trailing. It was kind of fluky to me. I think Hooper's a, a very good tight end and everything, but the idea that he was ever just this game breaker, even though he was putting out the fancy points, I, I just it just didn't seem reflective of the reality we're seeing. So much of it came when they were trailing. It's not like the Falcons were going into Sunday saying, you know, hey, Julio, hey, Calvin, you guys sit this one out. We're going to feature Austin Hooper. So I don't think we're going to see anything resembling that same sort of usage that Hooper had in the first half of last season. Hurst is fine. Like you said, you know, he's kind of got some speed to him. He, he made some big plays last year, but he's also not, you know, an athletic freak in that range, like a John U. Smith or some of these, you know, souped up athlete tight ends that we're used to seeing at the position these days. So at this point, it just seems like we're buying him at his ceiling. If he creeps back down between now and, you know, draft true draft season here in a couple of weeks, I think it's unlikely, but maybe then I'd be more down and take a shot on him. But yeah, you just drafting my ceiling right now. Give me the Blake Jarwin of the world, you know, three, four rounds later over uh, Hurst right now. Bus time. Identify the player, Ian, in the top 10 and ADP at each position that you think could bust, has the highest bust potential here. So we're looking, let's start with quarterback here. Top 10 quarterbacks, of course, the solid guys at the top. But who are you hearing there that you see sort of in the top 10 around that area that you think, you know what, if things don't go right, they could really end up hurting somebody if they take them, take them early. Well, no one really takes quarterbacks early, but if you invest high draft capital or, or even mid-round in them. Yeah, I'm seeing Matt Ryan going like as the QB7 right now. I know. Man, I, I took him in Scott uh, Fishbowl. I know. I know. It's a terrible I pick. Know. You're right. I, 
he's he's gonna throw the hell out of the ball. Like there's definitely a scenario where this dude throws in the upper four K, clears thirty touchdowns on a bad Falcons team. But you know, for living it living it to only top ten guys. I'm looking down to Matt Ryan and Drew Brees because those are the only guys that don't have a rushing floor. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Brees has the more consistent uh, situation because overall continuity going into this year. So, yeah, Matt Ryan would be that dude for me. He is a statue. And, uh, you know, getting up there a little bit, he, he looked pretty bad uh, coming back from that ankle injury last year. I still think, you know, I have Julio and Ridley both in my top 12. And when that happens, I think it was like 74% of the time when a team has two uh, wide receiver twos. They also have a QB one in fantasy. So, I mean, definitely a path for it, but just among those top 10 dudes. Yeah. I think Ryan probably has the lowest floor. Yeah. He doesn't run. And I took him in the second round, Scott Fishbowl. I thought there was going to be a QB run and there was not. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. He doesn't run and you never know what could happen. It did not look good with the ankle. It's a great point. Question here, Jerry from Cleveland, little aggressive email here in the mailbag rules, but can you please ask Ian why he hates Baker Mayfield this year? I get it that we're disappointed on last year. He was beyond a terrible offensive line. I think he can smash and make up for the debacle of 2020. So post-hype sleeper Baker Mayfield fan here, what do you think? Never hate players. I only hate ADPs, people. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, B- Baker was my uh, number one fade at the QB position. He's kind of like as the QB 15 right now. And look, Baker, yeah, they fixed the O-line, but, I mean, this dude was 33rd among 35 QBs in QB rating when he was kept clean last season. I mean, you know, maybe you can say he was just so spooked from getting pressure all the time that when he was kept clean, he couldn't even do anything with it. But, you know, Stefanski should bring in more play action, and the O-line is vastly improved. But, man, we're expecting Mayfield to go from just a bottom five quarterback in most metrics to just back into the top ten because – he is going to need to be a top 10 quarterback to kind of produce the sort of fancy numbers that we want. And I just don't think the, because the volume is working against him. We brought us up with OBJ, but Stefanski, I firmly believe is bringing a run first offense to Cleveland. And even though I think the Browns in general will be a better team this year, I mean, Baker's going to need to just be out of this world efficiency wise to kind of put up the sort of passing stats he'll need to be a fancy QB one. Because his rushing threat is like Matt Ryan level. I mean, this dude has only cleared uh, 30 rushing yards, I believe, two of his career NFL games. There are, you know, their top five, their weapons, Jarvis, OBJ, Hunt, Chubb, Hooper. They're fine, but similar to the Falcons, like once you kind of say, okay, well, what if one of these guys gets hurt? All of a sudden, you're in a good amount of trouble. So, yeah, there's a scenario where it works out for Baker. The new play action just, you know, spikes his touchdown rate, and the dude gets back to looking like uh, the same guy we saw in the second half of 2018. But, you know, I, I don't think the O-line was the whole root of the issue last year. The other problem was just Baker not being the guy they drafted him to be. So, it's, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong. But right now, I have Baker, QB 24. I am taking more proven quarterbacks like Jimmy G, Kirk Cousins, man, even Ryan Tannehill over Baker in fantasy. <laughs> I just think, I, I think Tannehill, he's got that rushing floor, Cousins and Garoppolo. We've seen bigger spikes weeks, uh, bigger spike weeks and more recent seasons. You know, I, I drafted Baker on a dynasty team recently. I'm not giving up on the guy, but I just think in 2020 uh, in particular, we're taking a lot, you know, a lot of leaps of faith to be ranking him in that QB 15 range.
Great job by Ian, of course, naming three players that we should have been lower on than most people were. Now we'll turn our attention to J.J. Zacharyson, a fan duel and number fire, one of the leading fantasy football people in the industry, came on and told us why we should be down on Raheem Mostert. People got to that middle round RB range and were starting to talk themselves into Mostert because he did have such a strong finish to the end of the year, but J.J. outlined perfectly why we should avoid him, why he was a guy that we should not go after, and even talked about how Jarek McKinnon could come back after those devastating injuries for multiple years and actually contribute, and he did. And then he ended up being a truther as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, and he was correct on this one for wide receiver Deontay Johnson. And look, Deontay Johnson had trouble with the drops at the end of the year in that one game, of course, and he was injured early. But when he was on the field and he stayed on for the entire game, he got targets like a true alpha wide receiver one, and he produced PPR formats especially. So JJ outlines perfectly why Deontay Johnson is someone we should have believed in in the preseason. How about for the 49ers, Raheem Mostert? I'm curious where you think he's going to go. Again, he was really productive, even though Tevin Coleman did start the NFC Championship game still. And of course, Jarek McKinnon getting a lot of positive reports now. Shanahan talking about yesterday that McKinnon's going to be the passing down back. What do you think about Mostert here in a side question on McKinnon? Yeah, look, that's a big deal, the McKinnon thing, not just because of McKinnon's standalone value, which I think he has, given the fact that he'll be the pass-catching back, but I, I do think that that's going to dig into Raheem Mostert's potential as a receiver in that in that backfield. I mean, last season, when he started seeing significant snaps, Raheem Mostert still had a sub-7% target share in that offense. Uh, really, we, we haven't seen running backs with, with that low of a target share uh, be top 10, top 5 running backs very often at all in, in fantasy football history. He essentially needs to be Derrick Henry to pay off and to really have that upside. So Mostert, to me, is sort of in that bucket of players who I just generally like to avoid because, you know, I think that they can pay off at their ADP and just sort of, uh, you know, Raheem Mostert, let's, see, let's say he's going at RB24. I think that he can finish as an RB20. But what does that really mean for your fantasy roster? Uh, you know, there's a lot of touchdown regression coming from Mostert. Mike Clay has his OTD metric uh, over on ESPN. Uh, and, and according to that, Mostert scored 6.2 more touchdowns than he should have last year. And then the yeah. other thing, too, in that backfield, you know, everyone's talking about how awesome Mostert was towards the end of the year, which I don't disagree with. I think he's a great fit in the offense. Uh, but that divisional, I keep going back to that divisional game against Minnesota, because in that game, Tevin Coleman was the starter. Tevin Coleman yeah. had 22 carries to Raheem Mostert's 12. And then in the NFC Championship game, Tevin Coleman hurts his shoulder and he's out. Raheem Mostert goes nuts. And then Coleman was injured for the Super Bowl as well. So there's a reason that Raheem Mostert was able to do what he did, maybe not to the degree that he did, but why he was on the field as much as he was in the playoffs is because Tevin Coleman was banged up. Coleman was actually the starter uh, before that injury happened. So I just think there's a lot of question marks, especially for the fact that you know he's a, he's a 27-year-old breakout running back. That's, that's a little bit scary too. So the fact that McKinnon is healthy, I think that there's uh, definitely potential for McKinnon to have uh, some standalone value in PPR formats. Uh, but then on top of that, it's really going to suppress what Raheem Mostert could potentially do as a receiver. Yeah, I talked about this last week. Mostert's one of those Plinko board guys. If things kick the right way, sure, but that chip could cl- could kick the wrong way, and yeah. it could go really, really poorly. Who are you stubbornly a truther for in 2020? Who's your truther guy here, JJ? I am a Deontay Johnson truther. Okay. Um, and I, I became one after just watching a ton of them last year. Um, I do think that analytics, uh, you know, obviously I, I look at prospects through analytics, 
Um, and, and I do think, though, that we uh, were a little bit too harsh on him and his lack of production. He was he was a fairly productive wide receiver, and he actually was was on on a team with with other decent teammates as well who were who went undrafted or at least were like borderline draft picks. Um, so and he also had the the return uh, uh, piece to, to his profile. Um, so I just I get irrationally angry whenever people start to talk about James Washington as this breakout this year in that in that Steelers offense, even though I think there's some validity to it. Uh, I, I just worry that that you know the Chase Claypool pick meant more about James Washington and their their uh, the way they they feel about him as opposed to Deontay Johnson, who really you know we love on this this rookie wide receiver class from last year. Deontay Johnson with these horrible quarterbacks ended up leading that class in receptions and obviously yep. targets and and looks going a wide receiver's way. Um, it is a skill uh, to, to be able to see that volume. Uh, you have to get open in order to see that volume. So I'm excited for what Deontay Johnson could do. I've been drafting him a lot this year. JJ was right on Deontay Johnson with a huge upside here moving forward into the next few seasons. Now we'll have Curtis Patrick from Rotoviz here, one of the co-owners. Curtis, just an amazing fantasy mind because he, got, he can analyze the players both from college in the NFL, long-term, seasonal dynasty across the board, and he really showed how he can apply that knowledge with the Oakland Raiders. I asked him how to focus on the Raiders' offense. There were a lot of playmakers, a lot of shiny new toys, Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs. What do we do? He nailed it perfectly. He said, it's Darren Waller. It's always Darren Waller. Stay with him. He's the redraft target. And that Ruggs and Edwards, maybe they can produce down the line, but they're not going to do a great job this year. And he was right on the money. So here's Curtis Patrick on the Raiders offense. You know, the Raiders have committed to trying to build sort of a better offensive mousetrap than Kansas City, or at least if you can't beat them, join them. I don't know if that's possible, but there are a lot of players with upside on this offense. Terrell Williams now looks like he's going to be out for a while, but they have rugs. Brian Edwards has been, you know, all over Twitter here. Fantasy Twitter has been all over Brian Edwards. Darren Waller, Lynn Bowden. So where are you here on this passing offense on the Raiders here? They're in Vegas. They're going to open up the season at Carolina. It's interesting because no one's really high on on Derek Carr. But if you like this Raiders offense and you like the weapons that they have, I think you have to be. But where are you specifically on the passing offense here, the Raiders? Yeah, so the only the only investment I want this year is Darren Waller. Um, I think I actually think that Darren Waller is set up better this year than he was last year. Uh, maybe maybe the volume takes a slight hit, but it's gonna be really difficult for opposing defenses to key in on Waller. Now they're gonna have to respect Ruggs' speed on the outside. And as soon as Edwards establishes himself as a, uh, a talented uh, possession receiver uh, who also has some yak ability, you're just simply not going to be able to give all the attention to Darren Waller uh, that you would like to give. So he's definitely the, the redraft investment. And then I actually still kind of like him for Dynasty. He's a little older than people realize because it took him so long to get some traction. But, um, you know, with with Ruggs and Edwards, you know, I think they're both going to be fine long-term plays. Still don't know if Derek Carr is the long-term solution. It looks like Marcus Mariota maybe is falling behind to the point where we don't need to worry about a potential mid-season quarterback swap. But I need to see probably more quarterback talent there before I get super excited about either one of these players. So Henry Ruggs, I think I'm famously not you know, interested in his profile. His profile reeks of an overdrafted speedster. I totally understand you know, things like and concepts like teammate score and that you know, Alabama was a difficult place to to earn target share. And, you know, he's not 
you know, their offense isn't playing four quarters of football all the time. And so using counting stats isn't, you know, necessarily the best way to approach players from that system. Totally respect all of, you know, all those counterpoints. But, you know, the bottom line is players that look like rugs from a collegiate profile standpoint simply don't hit in the NFL. So I'm definitely in a see it and then I'll believe it. Uh, spot with Henry Ruggs. I don't have any shares of him anywhere, uh, despite plenty of opportunity to accrue them. I'm I'm totally fine paying face value for him if he does end up being a hit. Brian Edwards, you know, of course, broke out at age 18 and then kind of just plateaued uh, the rest of his college career. So uh, the early camp reports are great, you know. But again, I think that maybe uh, those two guys. Uh, cannibalize each other a little bit. And again, that just leads to Darren Waller being the attractive investment here. And with Lynn Bowden, I think you brought him up. I think he, you know, he's kind of looking like an, a gimmicky offensive weapon type. You know what, what I'm envisioning here is like, you know, a couple years ago when Ty Montgomery first was getting a lot of attention in green Bay, uh, that's the type of role that I see. And it's not that it couldn't be valuable for fantasy, but I think it's hard to project now, if, if like Jacobs were to miss time, he would become an auto start in weeks where, you know, he was filling in. You know, I think I remember a game where Ty Montgomery, you know, technically started at running back, but he had like 10 or 12 receptions or something like that. Um, and I could see Bowden having some really weird games. But uh, again, I'm going to need to see how he really fits into the scheme here because there are a lot of mouths to feed, but one only one true alpha. Breaking down that Raiders passing game was so critical in the preseason, and Curtis did it beautifully for us, getting us ready for seasonal leagues and our drafts. Next up, a fantastic prediction here by none other than Pat Fitzmaurice, again, the top ranker across the industry at the Fantasy Pros rankings. Fitz is a good friend of mine, a wonderful person, and a fantastic fantasy mind, and he told us about Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson, someone with a lot of uncertainty around him, is he going to have enough running back experience to take the job in Washington? Is he just going to be somebody who's going to come in and split time with a Peyton Barber? Where's J.D. McKissick? Well, Fitz told us exactly what was going to happen. Right now, Gibson, 13th among all running backs in PPR fantasy points per game, gave us some massive boom weeks. The overall PPR RB5 in week four, the overall RB9 PPR in week seven, Then he gave us back-to-back RB7, RB7, RB2. Just a brilliant season for Antonio Gibson in Washington. And none other than Pat Fitzmaurice told us this was going to happen back in the preseason. Washington backfield, what's going to go on here? You know, I I like to find value in backfields that are ambiguous. JJ talked about how those are oftentimes he's charted it where those sort of late round running backs have come from. This is as ambiguous as you get. No Adrian Peterson anymore. I have a feeling it's going to be Peyton Barber in week one. I just have a feeling. But where are you on the Washington backfield? How's it going to be in week one? And where do you think it's going to play out? Well, it probably will play out with Peyton Barber annoying the hell out of us again, Mike. I mean, I think he was put on this earth to frustrate fantasy managers. Um, But I am starting to believe that it's going to be Antonio Gibson's backfield before long. And... I don't know if David Johnson really isn't David Johnson anymore. Maybe Antonio Gibson can be the new David Johnson. Just this big size speed freak who, you know, is smooth in the passing game. And, uh, you know, maybe it takes him a little bit of time to get rolling before they fully trust him with a big load. I mean, I know it's freaked out a lot of people that he only had, what, 33 career college carries. But, um, 
you know, the physical specimen that this dude is. And, you know, now with the Adrian Peterson release really opens up some opportunity for him. So wouldn't be surprising if they sort of, you know, got him into the mix slowly. And we did see a lot of Peyton Barber and, and maybe some Bryce Love too early on and some J.D. McKissick early on. I guess, you know, he's rankled some people uh, earlier in the week by being at the top of the Washington depth charts. Yes, which, which means uh, nothing. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's veteran deference and not too worried about that. And uh, I am like pretty eager to invest in Gibson as this running back you can get in the later reaches of the draft, you know, as, as maybe the 25th 5th to 30th running back off the board. Like, I think he's a pretty good investment at that point. I mean, Fitz nailed it with a fantasy football hammer. Great job by him. And we have two more quick snippets here. Who better to finish us off than Sigmund Bloom and Marcus Mosier? Sigmund Bloom, of course, from Football Guys, one of the legends here in fantasy football, came on and I gave him a lot of rapid fire questions. And the player he was down on throughout the entire podcast was Chris Godwin. He said he didn't like it. He didn't like the way last year he got a lot of passes from Jameis Winston, and he thought this offense was really going to change with Tom Brady, and he was correct. If you ended up starting with like an early running back pick, and you got McCaffrey or Barkley, someone who got injured there, and then you came back and ended up picking Chris Godwin with your second or third round, you probably did not make the fantasy football playoffs. So a lot of us were down, myself included, on Mike Evans. Sigmund talked about how Chris Godwin should should be the one we're down on. And then Marcus Mosier gave me the cut the cord guy. He came on during the season. Marcus Mosier there from Locked On Cowboys podcast, also works for the Raiders as well, does an amazing job. And he talked about who was the player he thought that we should try to get out from under early in the season, and it was Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju was not the player he was, even with Ben back. People thought he would ascend back to that wide receiver one range. He was not Right now, Juju is the current wide receiver 24, so he is the lowest of low-end wide receiver twos. This was a player who people thought would bounce back, and, and while he didn't go in the first round like he did two years ago, especially to myself, he did end up going in like rounds three, four. That was still way too early for Juju. With Deontay Johnson passing him, he did not get the volume we thought, so Marcus nailed that one as well. Here's Sigmund Bloom, Marcus Mosier to finish us off here with two fantastic predictions on players that we should have been leery of. Wide receiver? I'm going to go ahead and say Chris Godwin. Just because I think if we look a little closer at his production last year, there were some wild and wooly game scripts because of James Winston. And then also there was that coveted Bruce Arians slot role. And if they go to tight end, that's not going to be a role in that offense as much. I just want to know who's the cut the cord guy. You know, right now is is a danger time in fantasy. Some people are one and four, two and three. You want to start really making a move and, and position yourself for the fantasy playoff. So you got to know when to hold and when to fold. And like Kenny Rogers says, so who do you say, listen, I get it. You took them early, but it's time to fold because if you just wait, it's not going to get any better and you may lose your trading chance. Yeah, for me, it's Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, wow. wow. The first four games, no games over 70 receiving yards. Uh, has actually gone over 50 yards just once this year. Uh, the touchdowns have kind of saved some of his fantasy value, but with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson getting more targets than Juju, you likely spent a third or fourth round pick on him. I don't see any way that he has wide receiver one upside this year. So uh, if he happens to have a good game against Cleveland, please try to move him as quickly as you can. 
Uh, otherwise, you could be stuck with somebody who's just on your bench for the next several weeks. So there it is, folks. Looking back on all the fantastic guests that we had here on the Road of His Fantasy Football Mailbag, I want to thank each and every one of them for coming on, taking time, busy schedule to sit down and chat with me and to give you some fantastic advice. The list of guests were incredible and I just can't thank them enough. And here were those great predictions from the season that hopefully helped you as well. It's an honor, folks, to do this mailbag each and every week during the season. I want to thank all the wonderful people at Rotoviz, Sean Siegel, Colin Kelly, Curtis Patrick, Dave Cabe, and the whole crew there for trusting me to bring you some some distraction from this terrible 2020. But this one is dropped here on January 1st, 2021, which I know is going to be a better year than 2020. We're going to start heading in the right direction as a society and as a as a as a world, really, getting back to the normal stuff. And hopefully this provides a little distraction for you along the way. So now we're going to take a respite here for a few weeks to go away recharge the batteries, enjoy the playoffs, enjoy the Super Bowl, and then we'll come back after that time to talk about the NFL draft, to talk about the players, their fantasy impact, and where they can go. So we're going to take a brief break here, but we'll be back in a few weeks, better than ever, of course, working with you and talking fantasy football, which we love to do. Thank you so much for listening. It was a great season. We did get 16 games in like Rich Rebar predicted. It was an honor here to sit and talk to you each and every week. So thanks so much. Please rate, review the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Of course, Rotoviz at Rotoviz Radio. Folks, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. NFL Draft 2021 right around the corner. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. The wait is finally over, folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Go and head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.